readings this evening. Um, the first reading is uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 2 to 3, and that can be found on page 4, so really easy to find. Okay. So. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work creating he had done. And then the second reading is Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. And that can be found on pages 78. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On, On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the, the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Great, thanks, James. Let's pray as we look at these texts and a few others. So, Father, thank you so much um, for, for this time together. Thank you for the time that you've made holy. Lord, thank you that you don't treat us like machines, um, but you love us and want us to rest because you know what is best for us. And Lord, we pray that you to be speaking to us, challenging us, guiding us, and directing us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said, this is a new sermon series called What About? We're going to look at uh, various topics. What about the Sabbath? What about Sabbath rest is number one. And as we mention uh, the little phrase, Sabbath rest, I, I can already hear the objections flowing in because they're in my head as well. You're saying to me, I'm too busy to take a Sabbath, a full day off. You've got no idea, Guy, what kind of workload I'm under. I hear you say, if I take a Sabbath, if I turn my phone off and my email off for 24 hours... I'll lose my job. I just can't do it. And then we say, plus, Sabbaths are boring, aren't they? They're they're boring. I've got more interesting things to do than resting for 24 hours. I'm an interesting person. I need to do interesting things and stick them up on my, um, whatever it's called, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Um, What's the new thing again? TikTok. I need to stick them up in my TikTok. I don't even know what it's called. I'm getting too old. I need to stick them up in my TikTok if, if that's the kind of thing you can do with TikTok. But I'm an interesting person. And then you say to me, look, guy, also, isn't Sabbath an outdated concept? I mean, I, I thought that Jesus did away with Sabbath in the New Testament. Come on. Uh, what's going on here where you're telling us to take a Sabbath? Now, I wonder, too, whether, sort of on the flip side, before we even hit the Bible texts, whether you've seen some of the studies that have been done uh, on sleep and rest and how we're really lacking in this department. Studies have shown 
that the amount of sleep that we get has dramatically decreased over the decades to the point that I believe the average now is six hours, 19 for an adult each night. When we're told by doctors that for our bodies, we should be offering them uh, at least eight hours each night. And according to Matthew Walker in his book, this results in increased chance of heart disease and uh, cancer and Alzheimer's. In fact, he points out uh, in his book that it's really interesting that the the, the, the two uh, heads of state in, in the UK and US who boasted that they didn't need all that much sleep, they only needed a couple of hours a night, um, both died of Alzheimer's. And he chucks a little question across to the current US president who makes similar boasts. Uh, it, is, is that the route uh, that you might head down as well? So we're doing damage to our bodies, potentially, and, and, and it looks like everyone understands this. And, and then there's the pace that we also live at in our lives. I remember recently when a friend of mine down at the pub who had worked in a bank told me that during his banking years, he had one morning where he just couldn't get up in the morning. So he grabbed his phone, he phoned the bank, and he said, look, I literally just can't get out of bed. And they said, go back to sleep. And he slept for 48 hours, only waking up to get some water and to go to the loo. And that wasn't the only time it happened. It happened again um, during his banking years. In fact, uh, this guy is such an amazing workaholic that he even uh, finds himself uh, with a similar working ethic when he's painting uh, rooms at home. So they bought a house. They're just about to have a, a child. And he needed to paint uh, this baby's, this new baby's bedroom went into the room, he started painting one night and he just painted and painted and painted until he realized he couldn't stand anymore. So he sat down on a chair and he continued to paint. Fell asleep uh, with the paintbrush in his hand. He woke up and he still had the paintbrush in his hand. He's carried on painting um, through into the early hours of the morning. Now, I mean, it, it, it might be great for getting the job done, but if that's our kind of work ethic... Um, then we're abusing our bodies. And it, it might work for the short term, uh, but it's not a long-term strategy. And even in my profession, if you can call the joy of sharing Jesus with people a profession, uh, we're pretty rubbish when it comes uh, to, a, to a good work ethic and having enough rest. The average vicar seems to get burnt out in their late 50s or early 60s when we're told that our prime leadership years, in fact, are late 60s and into the 70s. We're burning our clergy out before they even hit their prime. And so, even before we get to the biblical texts, we can find that um, we're in deep water here, um, and, and, and we're heading down the wrong path. If we're going to follow culture on this, then we'll end up in trouble. You might know the phrase, YOLO, you only live once. But the thing about you only live once is you've only got one life. You've only got one body. And so do you want to destroy it early? Or do you want to live a full life looking after your body and have more years to serve the Lord with? So let's examine um, these texts 
uh, as we look through this topic. We're going to start in Genesis uh, chapter 2, then we're going to go into Exodus 20, where we find the Ten Commandments, uh, Deuteronomy 5, and finally Mark chapter 2. And in our Genesis story, where we pick it up, uh, we're at a point before the fall. Um, We've just had six days of God creating, and now in Genesis 2, 2 and 3, we read, By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The first thing to mention uh, is the subject of these two verses. Who's the subject? It's not the animals. It's not the people. The subject is... God. And it is God who has been at work in creation. Creating work, as we can see from the beginning of the Bible, is a good thing. The the pastor, uh, Tim Keller, points out that that our view um, of work, which is so diminished uh, by the Greek philosophers, who understood work to be something that you you did if you had to do, but if you're able to pay someone else to do it, then you'd sit around and, and philosophize, take life easy instead of work. Um, the, the, the Bible doesn't have that view of work. It's got, a, it's got an elevated view of work. God sees value in work. And so we have a God here who who works, and we have a humanity here who are put to work before the fall. Humanity are put to work in the ideal world, ideal relationship between them and God. Uh, In Eden, we see work. And in fact, there's every indication that in the new earth, the renewed earth, when Jesus returns and um, does what he needs to do and in renewing um, our earth. He'll put us to work as well. Work doesn't finish when we die, but it's going to continue past heaven and all the way into the new creation. And we'll discuss this a little bit um, in two weeks' time when we talk about work. So we've got six days of God creating, and then God rested. And it's an incredible thing because This is the all-powerful creator of the world. And he rests. And he doesn't need to rest. But he does rest to set a pattern for us to follow. And so the first thing that we can say about Sabbath is that it's a day of rest. And then he blesses we told he blesses the seventh day in the same way that he had blessed the animals in verse 22 and he had blessed humanity, humankind uh, in verse 28. And on those two occasions, he says, be fruitful and increase in number. And so the Sabbath is a day that's set aside for rest, which will be a, a blessing, uh, will be for the fruitfulness of those who take it. American pastor John Mark Comer writes, no matter how much you love your job 
or fine-tune your work-life balance. By the end of the week, you're tired. Your fuel cells are empty, but rest refills us with energy, with creativity, with vision, strength, optimism, buoyancy, clarity, and hope. Rest is life-giving, he says. And then God does the craziest thing. I've been shocked by this since I read it again recently. He does the craziest thing. He makes the Sabbath day holy. And holy is a godlike attribute. There's an otherness to holy. It means it's been set apart. And it's the craziest thing because the first thing in the Bible that is made holy, isn't a person, and it's not an object, it's time. God makes a time holy. And he calls that Sabbath. It's a day that's set apart. And because it's holy, it indicates the types of activities that we would expect to do during that time. The word that you probably associate with holy, holiness, is worship. And that's what he expects us to do uh, on a day uh, that is holy and set aside for him. So to summarize uh, just these two verses as we start, we learn that Sabbath is a day of rest and a day that's holy, a day that's set apart and devoted to God. And so as we go through um, this little time together, and you might be thinking, should I be doing X um, on my day of Sabbath? The standard test is, is it restful and is it worship? So now we're going to move on to Exodus chapter 20, and and we move forward uh, a number of uh, hundred years. And we get to the point where Israel has been formed and they've been Uh, taken down into Egypt. They spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt. And following the plagues, Pharaoh has released them uh, from Egypt and Moses has led them through the desert. But they need guiding principles to live by as they're formed as a new nation. So they're given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And here's number four, Exodus 20, 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So now on this um, commandment, we see a lot of what we'd expect to see, having read Genesis 2, 2 and 3. But then there are a couple of other things that we learn. We find out uh, who shouldn't work in verse 10. Neither you nor your son nor daughter, servant, animal, etc. And this is fascinating in our world of individualism. We find out that the Sabbath isn't just for the individual, but it's for the community 
It's for the household. It's, an, it's a communal activity where everyone gets to rest together. And then we might be tempted to think that the Sabbath day is just for Israel uh, rather than being for us as well. But we see uh, the rationale for the Sabbath gets rooted in verse 11, uh, that the Sabbath is secured in the pre-fall rationale. And because it's there, it's something that's not going to change, but rather it's something that's always been since creation and always will be. So you prepared for another crazy statement? I'm semi-willing to be challenged on this. And there is one potential challenge you might chuck at me, but I still think it's true. Here's another crazy statement. I believe that we're going to have Sabbaths in the new creation, on the renewed earth. I know you might be saying to me, but will time exist? I'm not quite sure how time works. We need some theologians to look into this. But whether or not time exists, if work exists, and there's every indication that work will exist in the new creation, I believe that Sabbath rest will be as well. Sabbath rest is something that has always been since the creation of the world, and I think it will always be. And and also, we see something else in this text. We see how God understands work. So work here uh, in the text isn't just our nine-to-five that we get paid for. In fact, it's much broader than that. In this text, it's what servants do, washing, cleaning, tidying, or quite often what we do, certainly what I do, uh, washing, cleaning, tidying. And it's easy for us to decide, as of those of us who work a um, sort of Monday to Friday, to decide to have a Sabbath rest, uh, a day off. And then we just fill it with all the work that we aren't paid to do. Those 50 Christmas cards or the thank you cards, uh, all the emails that need to be uh, sent, and the batch cooking that we need to do of the five meals for the coming week or paying the bills, cleaning our house, finally getting around to do the laundry. And all of that is important work. But that's the point. All of that stuff is work. It's just a different kind of work. It's the work that we don't get paid to do. And I think that if Jesus was up here, he might say politely, you work Monday to Friday, You've got two days off in the week. Use your Saturday to do all your unpaid work. The stuff you need to do that is still work, but you just aren't paid to do it. And then have Sunday as a Sabbath, where you're able to rest and worship. That's day number seven. Now, let's move slightly further forward in the Bible. Now, I wonder who knows that the Ten Commandments appear twice in the Bible. It's it's quite an exciting thing. They appear the first time in Exodus chapter 20, and then they appear in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in Deuteronomy 5, they're very, very similar um, to Exodus chapter 20, except on the Sabbath, there is a different rationale that appears. 
Deuteronomy 15, sorry, uh, Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. This is what he says. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So this is another great reason to observe the Sabbath. The people of Israel knew what it was like to be a slave. They had been captives in Egypt. They had been forced to work day in and day out, seven days a week, by Pharaoh's slave drivers, never being allowed a day off. But now they've been freed. They've been saved. They've been redeemed. They've been emancipated. And yet, as we know through the gospel, through the Bible narrative, their temptation will always be to return to the conditions that they used to live under, to return to slavery. And we might feel like modern-day London is a long way away from ancient Egypt. But we are always tempted to sell ourselves into our work situations where we're driven harder and faster every week, every month, every year. Coma again comments that from 1973 to 1990, the average working week increased from 41 hours a week to 47 hours a week. And at the same time, the amount of time spent on rest decreased by 37%. And, and that's, that's until 1990. So this is pre-Blackberries, iPhones, iPads, laptops, whatever else, which means that we take more and more work back home. We're tempted all the time to return to slavery. And we need to hear our Lord saying to us, Our identity isn't primarily tied to our work. We've been freed. We've been been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been emancipated. You don't need to be a slave to work. Come out of Egypt. Know that you're out of Egypt. And observe Sabbath rest. Okay, now it's at this point where you say, brilliant guy, you've given us three different texts, but all of those in the Old Testament, and I think that Jesus might have said something quite different about Sabbath rest. Um, Can we just spend some time in the New Testament? And and that's exactly where we're going to go to in a second. We'll go to to Mark chapter 2. And as we move into the New Testament, I think it's worth saying that the world that Jesus was born into, certainly the Jewish nation, is very different um, to our society uh, and our church. We're pretty lax when it comes to Sabbath observance, if we observe the Sabbath at all, Um, but the Jews of Jesus' day had a very different take on it. Um, They had taken their 613 laws that they found in the Torah, and they had added 1,500 laws in the Mishnah in order to create fences around them so that there was absolutely no chance of breaking uh, these laws of Torah. And when it came to Sabbath, they had taken something 
which had been blessed by God, something that was life-giving, something that was restful, and they turned it into something that was sterile and legalistic and stressful. And so in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, but before that, uh, we read of Jesus walking with his followers, his disciples, through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples took some of the grain and, and they ate it. And we're thinking, oh no, you know, call the pharisaical Mishnah police. We've broken one of those 1,500 rules. And the Pharisees are onto Jesus like a rash immediately. And, and how does Jesus respond? Here's Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It was made for humanity. Jesus is saying to us, you aren't to be ruled by the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't your God. Yahweh is your God. But the Sabbath was made for you, for your blessing, for your productivity, to give you time to spend worshipping your Lord and Saviour. And in our focus of of, uh, uh, Jesus as Saviour and Redeemer, we sometimes forget that Jesus is also a teacher and the greatest teacher to ever have lived. And the one that knows you perfectly and intimately and knows what's best for you. And so in his love for us, he has given us Sabbath rest as a gift, not to rule us, but for our flourishing. And the Pharisees had got it the wrong way around. But Jesus' answer doesn't relegate Sabbath, but he promotes it. And then secondly, we find out, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus isn't Lord of things that are insignificant and about to disappear. He is the Lord of important things that remain. And Jesus sometimes appeared to be cheeky uh, with the Pharisees. I love how Jesus is always doing miracles of healing on the Sabbath. And he doesn't do it because he wants to destroy the Sabbath. That's not his point. He does it because he cares about the Sabbath. He he knows how important the Sabbath is. And therefore, he wants to correct the understanding of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. And I believe that if Jesus came today into St. Michael's, he'd have a very different uh, message for us when it comes to Sabbath, to the one that he gave to the Pharisees. Since we have seesawed away from the Pharisees' legalism, uh, past the equilibrium of of life-giving seriousness and into license on the other side. And so I think we should start to take the Sabbath as seriously as Jesus does. Okay, so now let's just get to the point where I can assume uh, that I've convinced you uh, that we've got a biblical mandate for taking Sabbath maybe more seriously than most of us do. Um, But you might be asking, what do I do now? How practically uh, do I institute or grow in Sabbath 
in my life. John Ortberg uh, speaks of how we should train rather than try when it comes to spiritual disciplines. And he applies it to uh, things like worship and Bible reading and fasting. Um, but I think it can apply to Sabbath as well. Trying, ra- sorry, training rather than trying. He says it's a bit like marathon running. If I asked you to go out and try to run a marathon today, you would go out and it's unlikely you'd be able to run a marathon. Um, I can see probably one or two people who maybe could do it. I'm looking at you uh, and a few others. Yeah. Um, some people might, it's unlikely that most of us would be able to run a marathon. And then we would give up and we would say, I never want to run a marathon again. I've tried and I failed. But he says, what, instead, what if instead we, we train? So we do a, a couch to 5Ks, which for many of us is doable. And then we slowly build it up so that after six months, we end up running marathons together. And he says, let's apply this to the spiritual disciplines. And I'd love to apply this um, to Sabbath as well. So how can you uh, do Sabbath in training rather than trying, starting small and building it up. And every month, asking the question again, how am I doing in my Sabbath observation? And how can I grow in it? So it's a time that's worshipful and restful. My current day off, and therefore my Sabbath, is on a Friday. So on Thursday evening at 6 o'clock, turn my phone off, plug it into charge, chucked it in the corner of the kitchen for 24 hours and I didn't touch it again Uh, for me my Sabbath needs to be tech free if I'm looking at emails and messages and and whatsapps and and whatever else they just destroy my rest I can't do it and plus science shows us that blue screens uh, don't help us in in switching off and resting either so for me my Sabbath needs to be uh, tech free And then on the positive side, I I feel like it needs to be filled with greenery and green spaces. So we often end up going out to um, uh, Greenwich Park, where we can see some greenery and and fly the kite. Exercise is another question. For some people, um, going for a a run or going to the gym on Sabbath would just be hard work. It would be in the work category rather than the rest category. If that's you, don't do exercise on the Sabbath. That fits into a broad definition of work for you. But if for you, I'm saying going for a run down the river with a great audio book plugged into your ears or some worship music is restful, then do that. Do what works for you when it comes to rest. But the question that we're asking as we weigh up should or shouldn't we be doing things on the Sabbath is, is it worshipful? And is it restful for us? And then there might be things that you want to eradicate from your Sabbath. And one of those for me, and I think it probably should be for all of us, is hurry. We live in a world where our gods are speed and efficiency. And those two gods just don't have any role for us role for themselves to play on the Sabbath. Sabbath is a time where we slow down. 
we leave large margins. We don't rush into church. We leave time to get here. We don't rush on to the next thing. We don't rush to see people. We just calm down and we stop the endless rushing. And I know that Sabbath isn't easy to take. But unless we prioritize it, we won't do it. I know the things that stand in the way of me taking Sabbath, including three little boys, a pregnant wife, a busy job, and everything else that's going on. But unless I prioritize Sabbath, I won't take it. Are you willing to prioritize it like that? Give it top priority. And we can be distinctive as Christians in the workplace, as those who take Sabbath rest. Eric Liddell was probably the fastest 100-meter sprinter, the fastest person in the world in 1924. But yet, when he got to the Olympics to run that 100 meters, he found out that the Olympic final was going to be on Sunday, and that was his Sabbath day. So he refused to run. For him, God came before his running. And he would have been able to do a certain amount running and winning that 100 meters um, to, to be a witness for Christ. But he is able to do so much more as a witness for Christ by not running the 100 meters, by giving that up. And the incredible thing is God allowed him to win the 400 out of his share grace, even though I believe he had run twice previously on that particular day. And so, yes, we can honor God in our work, and we should be honoring God in our work, and we should be distinctive in the workplace with our colleagues, but we can also honor God by not cutting corners when it comes to rest. Honor God by taking the Sabbath. Jesus said that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Is he the Lord of your Sabbath? How can you train rather than trying when it comes to taking the Sabbath? How can you make sure that you see the time as holy, as set apart? How can you make sure that your Sabbath is full of rest and worship? Shall we pray?